Hey Amen. Thank you for tuning us in. I'm Daryl Bailey, Servants for Christ, as we continue on in our series and Wednesday in the Word, the life of the Apostle Paul. Here, as we continue in our series, we begin to look and realize that uh, here in Acts chapter 15, in between Paul's first missionary journey and his second, when he got back to the word of uh, to uh, the church uh, at Antioch of Syria. They began to run into uh, some problems when he got back. They were rejoicing. They were praising the Lord. And uh, they were having a great time. And I call this, this is the Great Jerusalem Council. You call it great because all of the apostles, everyone was there at this council. And uh, I call this uh, particular study Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35, because down when you hit verse 36, that's when Paul's second missionary journey will take place, and it will go all the way over into uh, Acts chapter um, 18. And so, uh, uh, but take your Bibles with me over to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on it with our screens in a few minutes. I call this the Coldwater Committee from Judea. You see, the new church was on fire and was being baptized, but not circumcised. And the Judaizers had a fit because that was the old law established under the law of Moses. Here you're looking at salvation versus ritual. All the apostles were involved in its discussion and decision. The council declared forever that a man is saved apart from ritual, saved by the grace of God through faith alone. See, this is the birthday of the church. I could not leave this out because this is the birthday of the church. And Christianity is all about grace. Here's September the 20th. 20,023, the 5th of Tishri, 5783 of the Hebrew calendar. Now, as uh, we go a little bit further, I want to welcome every one of you to come and join us at Bethel Crossroads Baptist Church, Pastor Keith uh, Dempsey uh, and our First Lady Amy, and continue praying for her and pray for all of our church family, uh, along with our People's Valley family as well. And uh, they'll always be a part of our family no matter what or where we're at. And uh, they know that, amen. But please come and be with us at Sunday School, Bethel Crossroads at 10 o'clock, Sunday morning worship at 11, Kids for Christ, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Come and join us, 450 Iron Hill Road, Taylorville, Georgia, 30178. God would richly bless you if you'll come and join us. Amen. And so when we get to looking and we get into Acts chapter 15, change is coming, you know? And Acts chapter 15, it records a pivotal event in the birth of the early church, confirming that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was the creation of one new body in which both Jews and Gentiles were to have the same access to God through faith in Jesus Christ and not the law of Moses. I'm glad uh, as we look at this, uh, one thing that we can all agree on is that change is difficult. And the older that you get, Oh me, oh me, the harder change is. And there's a lot of people that I know who are more comfortable with putting up with old problems than they are of finding new solutions. Ain't it a shame what people 
you know, will do the, because they'll fight change with tooth and nail. But always won't open new doors. Here we see the story as change is what brings us to Acts chapter 15. It's the story of the birth of the church. And I'm glad when we look at this, four things from the cold water committee that puts your fire out. I know, I tell you, back in the day, I wanted a church bus. Uh-uh. Somebody done donated the money for the bus and everything. And uh, you know what? They didn't nobody want to do it. You know, I always felt led to do it, but I wasn't allowed to do it because I was outvoted. There's a lot of things that sometimes in 20-something years that I was outvoted on or didn't uh, wasn't able to do. For the very fact is, is that somebody else said I couldn't. And they throwed some cold water on the Holy Spirit fire of God. And you can kill the future of a church when you don't do what the leadership of the church wants. And they didn't want it. They took that money that was donated for the church bus and made, made uh, fix their bathrooms up. And so I ain't never forgot that, you know. Four things from the Coldwater Committee that will put your fire out. Pushing tradition over truth in verses 1 and 2. Pushing rules over relationships, 3, 4, and 5. Pushing the external over the internal, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And then from verses 10 down to verse 35 in the life of the Apostle Paul, pushing preferences over people. Here we begin to look and we realize that some of the things that we go through in life today uh, is, uh, is, of course, uh, knowing that change is a very difficult thing. But you can read Ephesians chapter 2, verse eight, uh, 11 down to verse 18, and it will tell you uh, even about the New Testament, about how that this decision affected a lot of things. As a male, in order to become Jewish, you had to be circumcised according to their ritual. They, these new Gentiles from the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, they were being baptized but not circumcised. Can you guess what happened? Oh, my. Can you guess what happened? Hey, there arose in the church a cold water committee ready to throw out and put the flames of the Holy Spirit out as fast as it was burning. The greatest danger to putting out the church's Holy Spirit fire is water. And I promise you, just like there's always a devil in the room, like I tell you, there's always a cold water committee close by. Whenever you decide that the Lord's laid something, he wants you to do something. That cold water committee will come out of there running with a couple of pots of cold water and they'll throw it all on you and extinguish every bit of the Holy Ghost fire that's burning in you. And I'm going to tell you, it'll happen very fast. You know, uh, as these were some people in the church that were ready to pour water on the fire that was spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, it was not that these Jewish believers did not want Gentiles in the church. No, 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 don't get me wrong. But they wanted them in the church under their terms. That's usually how it is. Oh, we're going to control everything. Nothing will kill the heart. Nothing will kill the spirit. Nothing will kill the mission. Nothing will kill the passion. Nothing will kill the effectiveness of the church greater than a cold water committee that's ready to throw some water on what God is leading you to do. Men from Judea, the cold water committee that came to Antioch, teaching the necessities of circumcision and keeping the law. And Paul and Barnabas disputed this. 
And the decision was made to send him to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles, the elders. And along the way, Paul and Barnabas described the conversation of the Gentiles, which caused great joy. Woo, hallelujah. They was having a hallelujah meeting over in the first missionary uh, journey, praise God. All the ones that got saved, all the great things that was happening, praise God. But boy, that cold water committee, man, they didn't like that. At Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas first reported to the whole church. And when the Pharisees, who were believers, said that circumcision and keeping the law of Moses were necessary, the apostles and the elders met to discuss the issue further. And after much dispute, Peter spoke of how God chose him to be the first to preach the gospel to the Gentiles Given and and, uh, and how God acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit and how God made no distinction, purifying their hearts through faith. Peter thus questioned why they should put a yoke on the Gentiles that even they themselves were unable to bear. Rather, by the grace of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles could be saved in the same manner. Hallelujah. Barnabas and Paul again reported the miracles and they reported the wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles in Acts chapter 15, verses 4 through 12. As I give you a summary, James, the Lord's brother, offered Amos's prophecy. I don't know if you ever know what really got uh, the things where, you know what? What stopped that cold water committee and gave us the formula and the blessings of God's scripture to be saved by the marvelous grace of God and not go through all the rituals of the law of Moses was taken from James, the Lord's brother, that offered Amos's prophecy in support of what Peter said about earlier, about how God had anointed him to go and preach to the Gentiles, getting the Holy Spirit, that God made no distinction, purifying the hearts through faith. And so he recommended that they tr not trouble the Gentiles, but that a letter be written asking them to abstain from things offered to the idols. And in doing so, uh, I'm glad that we begin to look and we see uh, that uh, uh, blood, things strangled, sexual immorality. The apostles and the elders and the whole church agreed to send the letter and to have Judas and Silas accompany Paul and Barnabas to confirm its authenticity. The letter, its counsel approved by the Holy Spirit, was delivered and joyously received by the brethren in Antioch. Judas and Silas offered their exhortation, strengthened the brethren before Judas returned to Jerusalem. And that is an entire summary of what I'm fixing to say. Make sure your Christian faith is fuel for the fire and not water on the fire. Nothing will kill the heart and the spirit and the mission and the passion or the effectiveness of the church greater than a cold water committee. It will kill the future. When you look on days even 20-something years later, you don't know what that affected because you stopped the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you wanted to put that money into some whatever you wanted to put it into. You better listen to the leadership of the church because that decision will kill the future of the church. In my opinion, I believe it did. And so one thing that we can all agree on is that change is difficult. And the older you get, the harder things is to change. And so they're like a church I, I heard about that desperately needed a new worship center, but they were afraid to take the risk of building it. And so during a worship service, some plaster fell from the ceiling and it hit the pastor on the head and it sent him to the hospital. Probably an answer to somebody's prayer. Ha! Huh. 
But immediately a meeting was called and they made the following decisions. We will build a new church. We're going to build a new church on the same site as the old. We're going to use the materials of the old church to build the new church. And we're going to worship in the old church until the new church, listen, is built. People are often open to change, often as long as it doesn't inconvenience them, cost them anything, or change the way they do business or live their lives. Change is what brings us to the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And it is the birthday story of the church. Hallelujah. The church was literally born on fire. Praise God. God sent the Holy Spirit for 120 believers. Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved in one day. The church was off to the races. Home, hey, they were running a 100-mile dash. Jesus had promised that when the Holy Spirit came on the believers, they would be the witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. It was a breathtaking prediction and commandment. Jesus was asking his Jewish followers to take the gospel, which is the message of the death. Listen, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the people of no religion, people of different religions. It was to be for all cultures, all races, and all generations. And the gospel was to be ambitious taken everywhere, universally shared with everybody. Hallelujah. Only the message of Christianity has the one word about God that everybody needs to hear, and that is what? The word of grace, 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 hallelujah. Every other religion in the world is all about keeping rules where we got to go to the left and we got to go to the right. You got to take two steps. Oh, I'm going to tell you, Christianity is all about grace. Amen. It isn't about works. It isn't nothing that you can do to earn grace. It is the gift of God. No wonder all religions and people we're hearing from all over about salvation. Salvation is not earned by being good, doing your best, keeping the rules, or practicing religion. But rather, salvation is a gift of grace gained by faith. Hallelujah. Now, this message has so much to give. I don't know if I'll be able to get it all out. But I'm going to tell you something. All of a sudden, you had this Jewish hitman water, co-water committee. They come, come all the way, and their life goal was to stamp out the church and kill the message of Jesus Christ. Paul was in that at one time. He was the hitman. My, I tell you, I had met Christ on the Damascus Road and miraculously converted and become the most famous, passionate flamethrower of the church day ever. He was on fire, praise God. Hallelujah. He had just ended the first of three missionary journeys in which he had traveled over 1,400 miles by boat, by donkey, and by foot going all over Asia Minor. And for the first time, he had taken the gospel not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles because Christianity was for everybody. Mm. It was not a Jerusalem thing. It wasn't a Jewish thing. But it was a God thing. Hallelujah. Paul was in a city called Antioch, a Gentile city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And he had settled there with another teacher named Barnabas. And together they were offering God's gift of grace. These Gentiles were eagerly receiving it. Mm -mm -mm. Makes me think of that man that was in that, that uh, sky car when we was in Jacksonville, Florida. Man, he come up to me. Oh, man, that's all. That's Hey, I thank God, hallelujah, because I'm glad he didn't come up to nobody else. I got down in that in that uh, uh, that shuttle going across that thing, man, and uh, boy, praise God, the Lord changed his life and saved his soul. 
Thank you, Jesus. Reports begin to filter back into Jerusalem that all the Gentiles were becoming Christians, but they're not becoming Jewish. And so, remember, as a male, in order to become Jewish, you had to be circumcised. They were being baptized, but not circumcised. Can you guess what happened? That, that cold water committee, they came on the scene. They were ready to pour some water on everything. And they were raising some very big, 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 big questions. Big, big questions. Can you have conversion without uh, uh, circumcision? You know? And so as we start out, they were raising these kind of big questions. Pushing tradition over truth. Amen. And so as they did, can you have conversion without circumcision? Can you have faith in Christ without obeying the law of Moses? Can you believe in the Messiah without becoming a Jew? Oh, I'm going to tell you something. The church was about to answer once and for all the biggest question that deserved the biggest answer. Hallelujah. And that is when we look, uh, it's time for change. Because as they begin to answer the biggest question that deserved the biggest answer. Hallelujah. All of a sudden, how does a person enter into a permanent relationship with God? Who should be accepted in the church? Who gets in and what do you have to do to get in? What's required to become a member of God's family? Hallelujah. And so every one of us, when we look and we begin to realize that here we see the river of God's grace had overflowed its Jewish banks. And what is the church going to do? Mm, let's get into the word of God. Father, take the message Take the, the, the actual word of God itself and begin to change. Lord, begin to work through the power of your word and change us from the inside out. Lord, that we don't have to go through all of the rituals, but we step out on faith and take you at your word and ask you to forgive us of our sins. We confess our sins that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, we accept a gift, but we have to step out on faith. Where our senses cannot, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, Father, help those ones out there. And, Lord, in the end, if I try to lead them to Christ, speak to those hearts on the other side of the world. Speak to those hearts next door down the road, across the, 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 the neighborhood, and change them, Father, because your word has the power to do so. And, Lord, I just look to you to give us what we need to say in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, every one of us, when we look and we begin to realize that if the same counsel that was covered in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1, 1 through 10, then the men who opposed Paul included Peter in Galatians 2, 11, and uh, also uh, Barnabas in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13. However, it must be noted that this passage says that Barnabas stood with Paul against the Judaizers. So this is one of the reasons several Commentators hold that Paul's private uh, meeting with the apostles took place during his famine or his second visit to Jerusalem. And so here we see the story of the Great Jerusalem Council and, and what, it, what, what it really is all about. And, and so every one of us, when we look and realize that uh, the two questions that begin to arise uh, to every one of us, the Bible says, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. The basic question about salvation is a ritual or a ceremony necessary to be saved in verses 1, 2, and 3. 
when, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. Amen. And so they push tradition over truth. But I'm glad that each and every one of us, when we go through life today, we begin to realize that God uh, wants to do some things for all of us. And one of them is that as this, uh, the one of these things that the Coldwater Committee tries to do to put your fire out is they push tradition over truth. But secondly, they push rules over relationships. You know what? You know what? Here, a lot of times we'll read the word custom or tradition. For thousands of years, every Jewish male had been circumcised. It's very plain that it was a sign of covenant between God and the Jewish people. It was a sacred tradition, okay? And so because it was a sacred tradition, you, uh, you have uncircumcised Gentiles who are giving their lives to Christ, following Jesus in baptism, becoming members of the church without surgery. And these Jewish believers were saying, before you can be saved, you've got to have surgery. You've got to put it mathematically before we can add you to the church. There is a part of you that must be subtracted. Taken away. Can you imagine what that did to the members, the new member class of class 101, the new membership class? I just imagine the husband taking his wife and kids to the new church and he wanted to join, but then he finds out what is required to do. And you can't blame him for saying something like, honey, I just don't mind if you and the kids go here. But I really don't think this church is for me. It's just a cut above what I'm looking for. And I don't even like their mission statements saved in the nick of time. And so here's the 21st century. We're all sitting here going, that's unbelievable. You mean they got, they did that. Oh my goodness. Did not want to let people into the church just because they didn't look the same way. Just because something on the outside of them. Woo. Listen, that's how a lot of places are. Oh my goodness. You got to jump this hoop and jump that hoop. What these men will say before you come into the church, you need to look like we think you ought to look. You need to do things the way we want them done. In other words, they were saying, you got to be just like us before you can become one of us. And before we take these men to task, let's be honest. We all tend to settle in our particular versions of what Christianity ought to be. Hmm? We have a tendency to add one thing to two things. We either tend to add our own requirements or how to have a relationship with God, our own requirements on how to be right with God. And 99.99% of the time, it's because we push our own tradition over the truth, amen. And so, my goodness, man, hey, you know what? You better not get up and preach without singing Amazing Grace. Everybody, let's stand. Let's, let's turn on over to Amazing Grace. Amen. Now, I ain't saying ain't nothing wrong with that. I've done it most of my life. But understand, there's nothing wrong with tradition. Tradition can be a positive thing, but also tradition can be a neutral thing. But tradition can be a negative thing also. And here is how you always know when tradition becomes a bad thing. When you put tradition over truth. Amen. And so, when we push rules over relationships, boy, I'm going to tell you, we look and we begin to realize and being brought on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenix and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and they cause great joy unto all the brethren. Mm. Between a rock and a hard place, look out for the plan of salvation because is a ritual or ceremony necessary to be saved? Five important points. The protesters, the Judaizers from the Judean cold water churches were a powerful force, so powerful that the argument and the emphasis have continued down through the centuries. Oh, man. 
And scripture clearly declares what the dissension was, that there were there can be no mistake about it, what was being said, except you be circumcised, undergo this ritual, you cannot be saved. And there was the decision of the Antioch church to seek counsel from the Jerusalem church. And so there was the triumph and glorious march of the great church, encouraging, loving God's servants. And so here we see the service were utilizing every opportunity to preach. As they was on their way to uh, Jerusalem for the count, man, they were preaching the word. And what, what have I always told you what the mission is? Number one, share the word of God with the world. Number two, support the believer, the minister, the layman, in understanding the preaching, the teaching of God's word. Number three, prepare everything that you can. Listen, to lead men, women, boys, and girls to give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and to secure them for eternal life. Number four, hey, listen, ensure all that we can to minister to the needy of the world. And listen, fifth but not least, and of grace, which is the number of five, uh, hallelujah, provide Jesus Christ his proper place, which is the word of God that gives him that, sitting on the throne of your life. Amen? And so, however, between that rock and a hard place and the plan of salvation, here, however, many abuse uh, God's purpose for circumcision. Some made circumcision a substitute for true righteousness. Some used circumcision as a way to divide and characterize people. God has done away with circumcision as a sign of righteousness since he's come. And so we go on. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. Here between that rock and a hard place, we see, secondly, the enlarged question about salvation. Does a man have to accept the whole law before he can be saved? Huh? Here in verses 4 and 5, this would be the natural result to be honest and a thinking uh, Pharisee, the Pharisee was looking for the Messiah to come. And they would tend to see Jesus as the fulfillment of Judaism, not the replacement of it. That Pharisee, to see Jesus as an addition to the law, not replacing or embracing the law. And to see Jesus adding belief to ritual and not replacing ritual. And to see Jesus adding baptism to the ordinance and not replacing the ordinance. Simply stated. The Pharisee, because of his extensive training and lifetime training to keep the law, would be very slow to give up the law. You know, boy, between a rock and a hard place. And so, but there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Hmm. And so, Paul and Barnabas, realizing that the hill worth dying on, got involved into a very a heated debate because they decide to take the whole question to the spiritual leadership in Jerusalem. And as they do that, I thank God, they go to the Jerusalem showdown. Woo! On the uh, one side, they've got legalism and rules. On the other side, they've got grace and faith. Amen? And so one side is represented by the Pharisees. If you read much of the New Testament, you'll remember the Pharisees because everywhere Jesus went, the Pharisees went too. And so the term Pharisee technically refers to a first century group of religious leaders that were committed to a strict interpretation of the Mosaic law and they insisted on a meticulous observation of that law. The term became synonymous with legalism. Believe me when I tell you that legalism and Phariseeism is alive and well in the church. If you don't know what a legalist is, let me just share with you a definition that is humorous but true. Legalists love to act like God. Listen, by making rules. Legalists love rules because that's all about the rules. 
They love rules about who gets to make the rules about the rules and love rules about who gets to enforce the rules made by the people whom the rules appointed to make the rules about the rules. Huh. Let me just stop there. Oh, my goodness. That's what happening everywhere. The Pharisees believed that Christianity was simply an extension of Judaism. Jesus was Jewish. They believed that not only must you be circumcised in order to be a Christian, but you had to keep the law. You had to become a Jew before you could become Christian. They had added to all the law of the Moses, Mosaic, 613 laws. You know why? God gave us 10, but boy, when they got done, 613. Good Lord, under laws that they said you had to obey in order, listen, to be able to be a Jew, the relationship with God, to be right with God. And they're the ones that come up with them. Man, I'm telling you, they can also come up a way with how to beat them. If they could only go so many miles on the Sabbath, they'd take them a chair out there and sit down and establish it as their home, and they could go a little bit further. They knew how to beat it. If They, they know how to create the rule and know how to beat the rule. And so they thought the answer to everything was a law. Many of their laws were so silly that nobody could keep them. You know what? Even in society, you've got legalists today passing all the dumb laws that nobody can keep, would keep. And can I give you some real life examples? It's illegal to tie an alligator to a fire hydrant in Detroit. And the Maui County, Hawaii, children must be 12 years old to play on a, on a busy highway. Why, they don't need to play on any busy highway. Hey, in Kern County, California, it's illegal for anyone to play bingo if you're drunk. In Texas, a windshield wipers are required, but a windshield is not. In Alabama, it's illegal to drive a car while blindfolded. In Massachusetts, it's illegal to snore when your bedroom windows are open. Think about the. In Kentucky, it's illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. And so, the problem they faced in the early church, these Pharisees were saying, if you want to be a Christian, you not only have to be circumcised, you've got to keep all these laws and all these rules, and you've got to obey the law of Moses. Today, we've substituted by laws for the law of Moses. We've substituted our made-up laws for the law of Moses. We've got people today, if they could, then make it illegal to go into a church wearing shorts and flip-flops. They would make it illegal to drink a cup of coffee in the worship center. They would make it illegal to sing anything except hymns, and they would make it illegal not to do it out of the hymn book. Listen, there's all kinds. I respect tradition myself, and I'm I'm going to say I like the hymn book myself. I don't like singing off the wall, okay? I'm going to tell you, everybody's got their things. I ain't said nothing about music or nothing. I'm telling you that there's always a cold water committee and that cold water committee is going to throw some fire on it. But I'm glad everyone look at the between the rock and a hard place of the plan of salvation. The root question is for all generations, amen, that he tells us, can a man earn the favor of God or does he receive the favor of God? Huh? Uh, is he acceptable to God because he keeps the law or is he saved by confessing that he breaks the law and is utterly dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Huh? Well, does he work to make himself righteous or does he cast himself upon Jesus' righteousness? Does he say, Lord, I come in my own righteousness or Lord, I come in Jesus' righteousness? I'm going to tell you. Does he say, Lord, I come offering my own package of works or Lord, I come needing your mercy and grace uh, and for all of my uh, uh, shortcomings? And does he come to God to be praised for what he's achieved by his own hands and efforts? Or does he come uh, to the Lord for what God has done for him in Jesus? Amen. Is a man to receive the glory because he's done good? Or is, uh, is the glory to be lifted up to God for who he is and what he has done? Amen. Pushing tradition over truth. Pushing rules over relationships in verses 3, 4, and 5. But that brings us up to our third thing. Amen. 
And I'm glad that each and every one of us, as we go through life today, that third thing that we get into today is pushing the external over the internal. Verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 is we're always about pushing the external over the internal. And so when we look at that and we begin to realize what God is doing, Paul and Barnabas had shared the incredible things that God had been doing with the Gentiles as they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were the new kids on the block. They were the two people that the early church needed to hear from, praise God. They were kind of the E.F. Huttons of the early church. Uh, Peter, uh, as one was Peter and one was James. And I'm glad that each one of them spoke up on their behalf, amen, because Acts chapter 15, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, Peter understood that these Pharisees were correct in their observation. They, were ju they just weren't correct in their conclusion. In other words, these Pharisees were saying, just look at these Gentiles. They don't always wash their hands before they eat, which the law says you should. And when they do wash their hands, they don't eat right. They eat shrimp on the barbie. They put sausage on their pizza. They even go into the synagogue wearing T-shirts and jeans, and some of them got some flip-flops on, and they mean to be clean, but they're not conformed to what we want and the way we think. And up to that point, the Pharisees, they were right, because Peter simply points out the fatal flaw. You're focused on the external, listen to me, and not on the internal, just like you do when the preacher's preaching. You're critiquing the preacher, and you're not listening to what God is saying through the preacher. That's what's going on today in the world everywhere. And so when we see for to consider this matter and, uh, and that between that rock and a hard place of that declaration of salvation, the council met a second time in verse six. The whole church was meeting, the apostles, the elders, the people, hallelujah. And once again, the scene is that of an extremely important council meeting, the importance of which cannot be overstressed. And so Peter's great statement all are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we look at because Peter drove home three points. Peter recalled that it was God and God alone who saved the Gentiles, and that is Cornelius and his house. Peter confessed the yoke of the law, that he confessed man's inability to keep the law. Peter reminded the church of their basic belief, all men are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and he said to them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even that he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purified their hearts by faith. And so here we see that the Lord is doing a great work. Because Peter slams the point home with the force of a sledgehammer. Peter knew that if you subtract from grace, it's no longer grace. And if you add to grace, it's no longer grace. And our job is not to subtract from grace or to add to grace. Our job is to divide grace up and multiply it to everyone who will receive it. All of this leads to our greatest fire cold water committee. Because the things that they do today, we see as they push tradition over truth and rules over relationships pushing the external over internal. But that fourth thing is pushing preferences over people. From verse 10 all the way down to verse 35. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that didn't come up and cover that. My apologies for it. But I thank God, every one of us, as the Bible begins to tell us, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and he does most the most important thing. If you don't know anything about your future, about the plan of salvation and taking care of these cold water committees, James and Peter did an outstanding thing for this because the 
James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. He does the most important thing. He simply goes to the word of God. Amen. And he basically says, listen, if it really doesn't matter what my opinion is or what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what I think or what you think. What matters is what does God say? Hallelujah. And he quotes a prophecy from the book of Amos where Amos predicted that Gentiles would come to God just like Jews and that they would all come the same way. Hallelujah. By simply calling on the name of the Lord. And then he wraps everything up in a neat little package and he ties it up with a beautiful bow and he does what I want to do right now. He applies the message. Praise God. Boy, I tell you, hallelujah. I thank God. He said, now therefore, why tip ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? I thank God, he says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And so between the rock and the hard place of the plan of salvation, it's a great declaration of salvation because the council met that second, uh, second time. And then Peter's great statement, all are saved by grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And then Paul and Barnabas, great declaration, God alone wrought miracles and wonders to verify the message, the salvation by grace. He says, then all the multitudes kept silent. And gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. Woo! Man, praise God. Hallelujah. Something got their attention. Amen. Declared what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Hallelujah. Paul and Barnabas' great declaration. God alone wrought the miracles and the wonders. They didn't take no credit. God did it. God saved them. It was God's message. It was salvation by grace. Amen. And after they had held their peace, James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. James began to give them the book of the old-fashioned, Old Testament book of Amos, of what Amos' prophecy was about. Hallelujah. And so I thank God, every one of us. Simon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. James stressed the fact, pointing out that keeping these four simple exhortations would please the body of the Jewish believers, the strict religionists, the cold water committee from Judea. James supported Peter's great declaration. James declared that scripture supported the truth. And James declared that God foreknew and predestined from the beginning of time. Amen. James recommended a written exhortation instead of burdening rules. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, the prophet Joel. And I believe, amen, that uh, that scriptures, uh, I believe it's, if, I, I, I don't know if I put it on here, but it's Joel chapter 9 verses 11 and 12. James went over into the old foundation of the Old Testament. And this is, and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. And after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. This is exactly Amos' writing that he's talking about. Here, James. And after this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins there. And I will set it up. Hallelujah. Let me run on over there. Hallelujah to the book of Amos. Amen. Man, boy, that's got me fired up right there. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so, when we look and we begin to realize, as we get over into the book of Amos, amen. Uh, hallelujah. Give me just a minute. I got somebody buzzing me on my phone. They usually do. I'm sorry I didn't have it marked. But I believe it's the book of Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9. 
verses 11 and 12. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the, the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all of the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Amen. And so I'm glad that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that ye trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that ye write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. And for Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Boy, I'm going to tell you something when we look and realize that uh, pushing preferences over people. I'm glad they, they begin to get it done because the danger of the early church faced the same danger that the modern church faces today. There will always be a gravitational pull towards making our church comfortable for church people. Over time, every church will have to fight the tendency to focus on themselves rather than others. Every church has to fight the natural tendency to do that. And so Peter, James, and Paul said loudly and clearly, we're going to be a church for the unchurched people. We're not going to let petty preferences stand in the way of reaching people. We're not going to add anything to God's word when it comes to having a relationship with God or being right with God. Remember, anyone that adds a plus sign to either the Son of God or the Word of God has their math wrong. And so, how do you do that? How do we, as we go in time, to get rid of our list of how people dress, how the church ought to be run, how the personal taste, the musical preferences? I tell you, listen, every one of us, Dr. Albert Moore talks about going to the emergency room of a hospital and realizing how they practice triage. And in the medical field, triage is a system where you classify prioritized patients on the basis of severity of their condition, making sure that those with the most severe illnesses, critical injuries, are given the fastest and the first treatment. Dr. Moore says we need to practice theological triage. We need to decide which hills are worth dying on and which hills are not. Issues that are worth fighting for and fighting over, which issues are not. Huh? Let's just do what? The right thing. And so we're willing to die for the Trinity, the deity of Jesus, the atoning death, the salvation by grace through faith and the authority of the word of God. Then there are some issues in which we should be willing to divide. There are issues that would not cause us to disfellowship from someone, but it would cause us to go separate ways. The method and the meaning of baptism would be one example. They are certainly an issue worth being uh, uh, honest enough to say, you go your way and will you have to go ours? Will we have to go ours? And so, you know what? Uh, by sometimes you have uh, the things out there today where uh, women are serving as senior pastors of the church and dividing point and legit, uh, uh, a dividing point with the Southern Baptist Church. There are things that we debate about the style of worship and music preferences, etc. Nothing wrong with what differences of opinion and feeling strongly about these opinions, but they're not hills to die on or walls to divide. No, they're not. And I guess that best illustrated with the story of a man who's on a trip, walked up on a guy who was carrying a Bible, and he asked the man, are you a believer? And the man replied, yes. And the question started coming rapid fire. Hey, do you believe in the virgin birth? I, I, then I'm accepted. Do you believe in the deity of Jesus? No doubt. Death on Christ on the cross. Yeah, he died for everyone. Now this guy's thinking to himself, is this man really a Christian like me? Like me? And so he continued. Hey, the condition of the human race, sinners in need of grace, definition of grace. 
God doing for man what he, man can't do. Hey, return of Christ, visible and literal. The Bible inspired, irrerent, authoritative, the church, the body of Christ. Now the man was thinking, I'm getting excited about this guy. Oh, man, this guy's just like I am. I'm getting excited. He continued, conservative or liberal? Conservative. The man's heart began to beat fast. Religious heritage, southern uh, of man. Uh, Congregationalist, Holy Son of God, Dispensationalist, Triune, Convention. Now the man's pumped up. Woo, hallelujah. That was his denomination. Which branch? Premillennial, postmillennial, post-trib, non-charismatic, King James only, communion every Sunday. And the man's eyes teared up. He had only one last question. Did your pastor preach from the wooden pulpit or the fiberglass? And the man said, fiberglass. The man's eyes flared and he turned on his heel and he simply said, heretic. And he walked away. Because if you've ever been or you are now on that cold water committee, resign because and put fuel on the fire. Amen. Put fuel on the fire. Then plead the apostles, elders, which the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. The council's decision and the agreement. The whole church agreed with what had been proclaimed at last officially, and the church went beyond the decision, reaching out to settle with the disturbance and the doubt that existed, and they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren, which are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. For as much as we have heard that certain uh, which went out from us have troubled you with words, converting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. The persons who taught otherwise, the false teachers, were strongly rebuked. They troubled believers with their words. They subverted the believers' souls. The word uh, means to devastate, to plunder. And so uh, they were never commissioned by the church. And so it seemed good in, uh, uh, unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth and what the church council did about the false teaching. The church sent forth Barnabas and Saul as men who had proclaimed the truth, and the church sent forth two chosen exponents and uh, uh, pro, uh, uh, pro uh, men of God, Judas and Silas, that were uh, of, of authentic, uh, uh, genuine men of God that could uh, tell the witness and the testimony of what was to be so. And so, in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. There was the there were the few rules that were necessary, that they abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. Two significant points about the Holy Spirit and purity. The Holy Spirit and the church were both involved in the decision, and the necessary rules were not given for the purpose of uh, and the necessary rules were not given for the purpose of saving men, but for the believer's welfare. And these four sins are the sins that are so common uh, that mankind over a whole that James listed. Idolatry, following and sacrificing to the gods of man's imaginations and desire, partaking of things that pertain to idols, fornication, all forms of immorality, things strangled, the sin of indulgence, of going against God's law, fulfilling one's own desires and referring to eating forbidden meats and the dietary laws of the Jews and blood, they may refer to murder or to the blood of animals. And so he did this for three reasons, that no man be troubled or hindered from turning to God by rituals or law, and that all men live as they should, and that no man offends or be a stumbling block to another. 
So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had carried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Man. And so when the four men arrived in Antioch, the whole church was called together. The great decree on salvation was read. And the results was fourfold. There was great rejoicing, joy, gladness, rejoicing over the consolation that over the encouragement and the help given of the Jerusalem church. There was great exhortation. There was the discovery of the great missionary Silas and a great teaching ministry grew within the church. Hallelujah. Make sure your Christian faith is fuel for the fire and not water on the fire. Because pushing tradition over truth, pushing rules over relationship, pushing the external over the internal, pushing preferences over people. As I close out, mine goes all the way back to September of 1972 when I made a confession of faith. I was only eight years old. I want to ask you, all you need to do is confess your sins to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Here, something similar to this. This is my thing. You can come up with your own. Understanding that I'm a sinner, but believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to free me from the punishment of my sin, I now receive him as my Lord and Savior. And from this day forward, I desire to live to please Christ and in placing my trust in him for the gift of eternal life. That up there was when I was a young man. <laughs> and you know what? This body is decaying every day. But I'm glad that I've got something that's eternal. This body will have to go back to the dust of the ground. The sinner that died on the cross to free me from the punishment of my sins. I desire to live to please. And I placed my trust in him for the gift of eternal life. What does it say? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10. Amen. 9 and 10. I've got 8 there, but 9 and 10. And so, Father, thank you so much for the message and the messenger. And I pray, God, that this will be a blessing to those ones that didn't know that it was the prophecy of Amos that made the greatest difference with Peter and James, that we have what we have today, grace. And it's a gift that we receive. And it's not a ritual. And it's not, uh, it's not uh, even the, the, the act of baptism. We step out on faith and buried in the old liquid grave. But we've got to confess our sins. The man on the cross, he was on the cross. He didn't get a chance to get baptized, but he's in the presence of God because he asked Jesus uh, to remember me when you come into your paradise. And Father, I'm thankful that, Lord, that I have a desire, even though I got saved, I want to be baptized because that was a part of the covenant, along with remembering as I take communion what Christ did for me on the cross of his bread, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, that I take part of that because I'm born again. I'm a child of the king. And I do that based on that faith that I stepped out. So touch somebody's life and let them realize, Lord, that it's not about works, but it's about faith. And it's a gift that we receive and ask Jesus to be the keeper of our souls. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for tuning us in.